For the next 31 days on the FCPA Compliance Report, we're going to be bringing you a daily tip, strategy, or idea that you can use to improve your program. Here's your host, Tom Fox, the Compliance Evangelist. Today, I'm going to do something a little bit different because I've asked my good friend, Mike Volkoff, the CEO of the Volkoff Law Group, to come on and talk about what I think has been the biggest lesson that certainly I have learned this month of one month more to a more effective compliance program. And that is that business ventures are different animals than sales agents, commission sales agents, representatives, or people that generally help you sell products on the sales side of things. So we've talked about joint ventures. We've talked about franchises. We've talked about distributors, teaming agreements, partners, alliances. Those are really different. Mike has written on this and he's thought about it a lot. So I thought it might be fun and certainly a little bit different to shake things up a bit to ask Mike to come on and really help us understand why ventures are different from agents on the sales side. Mike, with that somewhat long-winded introduction, welcome and thanks for taking the time to visit with this very unique topic with us today. Thanks, Tom. It's always a pleasure to work with you. And I've really enjoyed the series and I've enjoyed, we're Very proud to sponsor your activities. Obviously, we think the world of you, and we think that you make real significant contributions to the compliance environment, and particularly in this area where I think that there has been less attention paid to it. And I don't, I guess I can't figure out the reason why, because we always hear about the classic sort of agent, sales agent's role in anti-corruption compliance. And there are so many other types of ventures. I think when the Justice Department or SEC applies certain criteria that they may fall within the area where these people could be, or these arrangements could involve additional risks that are created for, let's say, company A that's setting up relationships with other entities. And, And the first, and For whatever reason, Tom, I don't know, it seems like we, I haven't seen many sort of joint venture enforcement cases. And then, but back in like 2010, 2011, and 12, we saw a lot with Panalpina and some of the other ones in terms of joint venture enforcement actions, Bonnie Island and other things like that. Mike, we've had a fair number that have come out of China where a U.S. company enters the Chinese market. They have some sort of relationship with a Chinese company. They enter into a joint venture relationship, and then they end up buying out the Chinese partner so that they bring the joint venture into the company. And the unfortunately, by that time, the corruption is so established and ingrained that it continues. And it's, as I like to say, it's no longer them doing bribery and corruption. It's now you doing bribery and corruption. But really, you, right. you point out the differences in a great series you had on joint ventures, and you said that there were both inside risk and outside risk. So I thought maybe you could explain what those risks are and really how those are different than a sales agent. That, and I've actually found that joint ventures are, depending on how they're structured, can be really complex and difficult compliance projects. So for example, let's say company A is American with the A for America, and company C is a Chinese state-owned entity. And the likelihood of forming a joint venture with China is very high because that's the price they usually require, usually to get access to your intellectual property. So here we have a joint venture of A and C, 
And what I like to, when I look at a joint venture with a state-owned enterprise, there are what I call inside risks, which are what is the nature of your relationship with the joint venture? How do you interact with the joint venture partner? And I don't, we can't apply the traditional third-party due diligence risk management of the agent or distributor model. Because here, people could make, they could look at how is, how first of all did the joint venture come about? What is the role of the state-owned entity? What are they contributing to the joint venture? And the last thing that you want to have is a joint venture that's founded on one principle, which is, okay, we're bringing in the state-owned entity, and they're going to grease the wheels for us with every government agency we have to deal with. That's going to be their expertise that they bring to us. We got to be really careful in setting that up from the beginning because hopefully they have more than just their ability to get things done throughout the government in China to the joint venture. Because by its, by definition, then at the establishment phase, you're creating risks in terms of why you're even bringing them to the joint venture. Because I don't want to have a joint venture partner that's just based on go and make sure that nobody in the government gets in our way. Then you have, so you all, you have to look at how was this created? Why was it created this way? What were the incentives of everybody and what were the roles that everybody was going to take on with regard to the business operation? So let's say you have a 50, 50 joint venture. Then you have a situation where the joint venture itself, let's say the new entity AC has what kind of decisions are they going to make? Are they going to retain third parties? Are they going to retain distributors? Are they going to use lobbyists and consultants to facilitate the joint ventures operations? And then look at it in this situation where, let's say we're equal 50-50, I can't give up the control of my joint venture to allow the government entity to hire their to hire agents they want to hire distributors they want to hire without my having input or my having the ability to say no so many of my clients who have joint ventures with high risk and with government entities in high risk countries one of the things we have really insisted on is that they have and so they may have 51%, they may have three out of five management seats on a, a management board, but I want my client to have control because I don't ever want to cede control to a state-owned entity or to even a high-risk partner who then can make decisions on behalf of the joint venture because then I get, like I think you know your reference early on, I could end up having liability created by my inability to stop certain transactions and allowing them to go on and sticking with the joint venture and not terminating my relationship. So I, that's a long-winded way of saying this is incredibly high risk that requires more than just third-party risk management strategies because you need to get into the guts of the business how it operates and how it's going to operate and how it was created and then how is it going to operate. And that's the way I divide this sort of sets of risks. So that's really- and I think I think it's really difficult, Tom, because then you run into local restrictions in certain countries where they have to have the joint venture partner has to have fifty percent 
ownership at least. Sometimes they even say from 51. That, Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Yeah, that really hits for me, Mike, what I think is the really big and important distinction between business ventures and third-party sales agents. Certainly, you still have to do your due diligence. You still have to do your background investigation, all of the steps leading up to the contract being signed. But that's where I think it differs because you have a much bigger governance role in a joint venture or indeed any other venture, whether that be teaming partners, strategic alliance, distributor, franchise, a relationship. You're going to actually have to govern and be a part of both in terms of the controls, but also in terms of the contractual rights you have to detect, prevent and remove. And that's where I don't think a lot of companies are really they don't have that baked into their risk management process. That was one of the things that really struck me in doing the research that's a, podcast series this month. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a really good point in the sense of, I don't think that we have, I think the controls that we that I've seen people put in place in joint ventures tend to be very immature in the sense of it's, if there's bribery, we can walk away from the deal. But what about audit rights? What about looking at the books? What about, what if they use the what if they use the joint venture as a means to funnel bribe payments through it? it there's so many risks that I can think of, and to be honest with you, it's hard to to address all the permutations in advance. You can't use just the standard reps and warranties that we've seen a million times. You have to get into how is this business going to operate? Who has control of the money is always critical. And there has to be, the, by definition, there has to be something that the state-owned entity or the, let's say, Chinese entity is bringing to the table that's got to be of value to the joint venture. Once you see that area of value, then that's an area that becomes a bribery risk because it's going to relate to something that's critical to the operation of the business. And that's what that's why it's much more complex. And your whole notion of Business ventures and the kind of risks that can get created are—it's a very—it's a much more complex area than people think. I think at first glance, and like I've seen it in—I haven't been involved as much with teaming agreements or strategic alliances, but I do—I've had development type of strategic alliances, and those can get into areas as well, particularly with funded big companies getting together and doing strategic alliances. So I worry about that. The other area where, and I think this is, I've always thought that there should be more attention paid to this area is the franchise area. We, I've seen people like try to categorically say franchisees or franchise franchises can never raise third party risks or things like that. You can't make a categorical judgment as to by putting a label on it. And you have to look at the nature of the relationship between the parties in a franchise. And I've seen such a variety of franchise agreements that I don't think I can think of franchise agreements that don't raise as significant a risk. And then I can think of some that I've seen where I thought there were real risks in terms of them being the franchisee being categorized more as a agent or somebody under your control as the franchisor. So that's, I think in all of these situations, outside of the classic agent and distributor situation, I would say in general, we have to take a real hard look at the nature of the business venture, 
how it's operating, why the people have gotten together, and then look at the intricacies of the business and apply traditional risk analysis to it. And I think you come up with very different types of issues than you do with the classic sales agent. Mike, this has really been an interesting exploration for me. I think that you've absolutely hit on it that many compliance practitioners have not thought through the specific risks of business ventures as opposed to sales agents or representatives on the sales side of things. I hope that uh, this month's podcast series and you're talking about it, you're being on this podcast and your sponsorship will help facilitate a discussion that maybe people will begin to think about more of the issues and more of the risk and perhaps put a better risk management strategy in place. So I wanted to thank you for coming on the podcast and giving me your thoughts and I look forward to continuing the conversation in another forum. Hello everyone, this is Tom Fox. I'd like to thank you again for joining me for this episode of 31 Days to a More Effective Compliance Program around business ventures. And I hope you will join me for our next episode tomorrow. This podcast series on 31 Days to a More Effective Compliance Program is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>